And now it gives me great pleasure to introduce our speaker for today, someone who looks like he's in summer mode already, Dr. Reverend Patrick Cameron. Already in summer mode. It's over in another three weeks, isn't it? Ten weeks, okay. Good morning. Hi, Stefan. How you doing, man? Good. Let's, uh, if you'd like to stand with me and sing a song, it'd be great. And if uh, you'd like to stay seated and not sing a song, that's okay. If you'd like to stay seated and just op- move your lips like you're singing, that's good too. Anyway, we're going to sing, and then we'll say a prayer. Good morning. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very room in this very Know with me, I recognize the one life, the source of all life, that which is in and through and as everything. That source, that spirit, that divine creator, that life's essence I claim as my own. And as I choose it, it chooses me. And I am transformed in my choosing, in my intentionally turning my awareness, my busy mind to that one idea. I stand as if staring into the flame of divine light and being illumined in a new and powerful way. And so I give thanks for this beautiful teaching. I give thanks for Dr. Ernest Holmes, for all of his teachers that brought us here together today. A philosophy that crosses the boundaries of all theology, a universal concept, a way of life, of how to approach our life and how to think about our life and ourselves. And it is our opportunity in that freedom to reveal, express, and create that which is longing for expression uniquely and wonderfully by each and every one of us. And for this, I am so grateful. I give thanks knowing that that idea and that recognition of that idea is already complete within your mind and my mind at that level of God. And we need only look there and continue to call it forth. And it transforms our experience. With this said, I give thanks knowing that is done and more. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you, Stefan. We're starting with a new book this month that I came across. It's a wonderful little book called This I Believe. And it's got uh, about 80 short stories in it about personal philosophies of remarkable men and women. And I was drawn to it and I opened it up and I read a number of them and I just thought, wow, this is, the, this is great stuff. And part of it, probably what, what uh, 
guided me there initially was I went on YouTube, and there's a wonderful video. If you've never seen Ernest Holmes, if you go on YouTube and you Google Ernest Holmes, it's a 22-minute and change video of Ernest talking about uh, science of mind. And he spends 22 minutes just simply talking about what I believe, the power of belief. And it's wonderful, wonderful stuff. Um, A number of times um, I will tell a story. See, for me, my view of the world is it's all consciousness unfolding. And there'll be Sundays where I won't mention Ernest Holmes and I won't talk a lot about the science of mind and then someone will lovingly remind me that, you know, I need to stay on principle. And for me, what I understand and I honor the, the input is that it's all the science of mind. And so one of these beautiful stories, and I want to weave it into what Dr. Holmes has to say, a bit of what he shares with uh, in his video today, is the idea of belief. There's a wonderful um, short story in here by Mar- about Margaret Sanger. And Margaret Sanger, I mentioned her a few weeks back, but Margaret was an amazing woman. Um, she was born in 1879, so about the same time Ernest Holmes was born. Ernest was born uh, right around that same period. I think he was born in 1881, and, uh, and in the same area of the United States. So Margaret had an interesting life, um, and I'll give you a bit of her background. Uh, but, but what it is and what this book contains are people that have really changed the world people that have really used the concepts of consciousness, and she speaks directly to that in some of her writings and actually talks about consciousness in her article. And it's a very short article. We have, we have copies of the book in the bookstore if you're interested. But Margaret Sanger was a, an amazing woman. She was born to a, and I probably why I can relate to her really well, to an Irish Catholic family, which is part of my background. And her mother, she watched her mother, who was a devout Catholic, go through 18 pregnancies with 11 live births. Now, my, I come from a family of 11 children, so I feel a kindred spirit with... And she was the sixth child. I'm the fifth child of 11. Anyway, what happened is that uh, um, she went through 18 pregnancies with 11 births in 22 years before dying of tuberculosis and cervical cancer at the age of 50. Her father, Michael Hennessy Higgins, who was her maiden name, Higgins, was a Catholic who became an atheist and an activist for women's suffrage and free public education. But isn't it interesting how adversity, how friction moves us into advocacy? That's one of the things that Martin Luther King used to say, that the tools of advocacy are agitation, and this is agitation. And then it's litigation, and then it's legislation, education, and, and then innovation. But, but what Margaret did is she saw this, and then she went to work in New York City, she worked as a nurse in the New York's Lower East Side. So she went through this experience with her mom. She, had to be, she was pulled out of school because she needed to go home and take care of the family. And so she, her education was cut short. But she, eventually friends got her back into school because they knew that she had a gift and she needed to continue her education. And, there's a, and you can Wikipedia, there's, a, there's about 20 pages I have on her that I, I downloaded this yesterday. But in 1913, she worked as a nurse in New York's Lower East Side, often with poor women who were suffering due to frequent childbirth and self-induced abortions. Searching for something that would help these women, Sanger visited public libraries, but was unable to find information on contraception because it wasn't taught. It was illegal. Contraception was illegal at this point in time. These problems were epitomized in a story that Sanger would later recount in her speeches. While Sanger was working as a nurse, she was called to Sadie Sachs' apartment after Sachs had become extremely ill due to a self-induced abortion. And afterwards, Sadie began, atten- 
begged the attending doctor to tell her how she could prevent this from happening again, to which the doctor simply gave the advice to remain abstinent. A few months later, Sanger was once again called back to the Sachs apartment, only this time Sadie was found dead after yet another self-induced abortion. Sanger would sometimes end the story by saying, I threw my nursing bag in the corner and announced that I would never take another case until I had made it possible for working women in America to have the knowledge to control birth. And although Sadie Sachs was possibly a fictional composite of several women Sanger had known, this story marks the time when Sanger began to devote her life to help desperate women before they were driven to pursue dangerous and illegal abortions. But it's interesting, so I share this with you, because it's painful to listen to this, and I know that, but it's about the evolution of consciousness. This is how our teaching shows up in the world. And, and, and how one individual, sparked by the, the adversity, the agitation, took her consciousness and awareness and started to gather the information and started to collaborate, because she didn't have the expertise. She didn't, she didn't have the relationship. She didn't have the, the things that, that were going to sustain her on her journey as she moved forward. What she ended up doing in her journey, she was actually arrested several times. She went to Europe and she collaborated because in Europe there was already some things around contraception that were happening. She started to bring those things, those tools and those, that information back to the United States. And, and she, was, uh, she was charged with crimes again and had to go to court and defend herself. Long, the, the long and the short of it, she went through a, a long trial and uh, she came out of it and the charges were dismissed. Uh, di, uh, dismissed. But she founded what called the American Birth Control League, which then became Planned Parenthood, which is still alive and, and thriving today. But, but their vision, their mission statement is this. What we, ho- we hold, that women, children should be, number one, conceived in love. Conceived in love. What an idea. What a radical idea. Children should be conceived in love. Number two, born of the mother's conscious desire. That, that not only conceived in love, but that the, and of course, would have to be with the mother's conscious desire. And number three, and only begotten under conditions which render possible the heritage of health. And therefore, we hold that every woman must possess the power and freedom to prevent conception except when these conditions can be satisfied. So she was very radical in her approach. Uh, we went and saw Bill Maher the other night, and he's talking about, he's very up-to-date on, on you know, the political scene, and, and um, I just find his, his w- way of thinking quite um, uh, very funny, but also very insightful. And he said that there, even to this day, there's, there are people in, that are now in the, uh, the, the uh, legislature of the United States government that are, are debating con- uh, uh, con- contraception. And here we are, you know, 2012. This was Margaret Sanger back in 1920. But there's still the mindset that, that we should debate contraception. As if it, this whole idea that to not plan this and welcome it, it's just a, it's mindless to me. Um, and, I'm, and, and I think it's a, it, but God bless Margaret Sanger for having the courage to step up and help people. And help people that were suffering. And, and to do it, and there's no hard and fast rule. I mean, we all love, I love my children. I'm glad they're all here. But... But to step into the, the role model that my mother had, my mom had 11 kids, and she told me years later, she said, I was done after four or five. She said, I just was. But the, the, the culture that she was... So I, I guess it's near and dear for me because I think about, about my mom and what she went through. It, the idea was to have as many children as you possibly could. And that's still a popular idea out in the world. Like there's, that ch- there's that show on TV, I don't know, 19 and counting or whatever it is, that they keep having babies. 
And, and, and that's their choice, and the quality of life seems to be great. But all I'm saying is it has to be done consciously. I think all of our, our life has to be conducted consciously. So, so how does this tie in? Oh, and one of the things Margaret Sanger said that, that propelled her, she had a vision for her life, and I love this. She said, build thou beyond thyself, but first be sure that thou thyself be strong and healthy in body and mind. It's an old East Indian proverb. Build thy beyond thyself, but first be sure that thou thyself be strong and healthy in body and mind. In other words, show up healthy enough so you can help another person. Because if, if your need to help someone or to save someone is because that's the only way you know how to operate, you're probably not showing up strong and healthy in body. It's bringing that God essence with you. It's bringing that divine spark of life that lives in every one of us. It's there, it's accessible, it's not unique. Dr. Holmes talks about this on the video that I mentioned a moment ago. He said that there's a power for good and we can use it. It's over there on our wall. There's a power for good and we can use it and it can use us. He said it's right here. It is nearer than our own breath. Nearer than our own breath. It is done unto us as we believe. It is done unto us as we believe. And he, tends, he spends 10 minutes in the video fleshing out as what that means, as you believe. The power that we use, the power that you and I use is based on our conviction. Your conviction in it, your faith in it. Your faith in it. Emma Curtis Hopkins, who was Dr. Holmes' teacher, said, and Emma was an amazing woman. I mean, look at all these amazing women that have continued to change the planet. Not just the men, it's the women. It's, it takes everybody, it takes all of us. I have seven sisters. You know, my brother John used to say he's the attorney and, and a very, very brilliant man. And he used to always say to me when we watched the, the interaction in the family, we'd be off in the corner kind of, you know, you have, your, you have to partner up to kind of for self-preservation. And John would always say, yep, he'd watch my dad interacting with my sisters. And he'd always come away and say, girls don't count. And that was just, the, that was, just that was my dad. It was, he wasn't being mean. He, he was, just wasn't awake to it. It was this culture. It was a whole cultural thing. Dr. Ken talked about it when he was here. But girls don't count. Everybody counts. Emma Curtis Hopkins, before I started rambling on about my sisters. Emma Curtis Hopkins, miracle working is a sign of being absolutely united to spirit. Miracle working is a sign of being absolutely connected with spirit. When you have something miraculous and amazing happen in your life, it is a reflection of you. Whatever it is, if you... (laughs) You got, you got exhausted judging and criticizing and complaining and condemning yourself for a moment and all of a sudden something good could pop through. I mean, I think for most of us, myself, many times my treatments show up after I've exhausted every possible avenue that I can do. And I finally say, oh, the heck with it. I just have, And that's the release. See, we don't release our, our prayer treatment. This is why we do our prayer. And I release this. I, 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 we, we become, we say what we become and we become what we say. And so when we, we do our prayer work, we have to release it. We have to release it. Oh, I'm done with that. When I used to go in with my, Reverend Catherine Yates, and, and she'd say, okay, tell me the story. And I'd go in and I'd say, oh, you know, I did this, and I did this, and oh, what was me? I'm no good anymore again. And then she'd say, okay, let's treat. What do you want to treat for? And we'd do the affirmative prayer. We'd, she'd go into this great affirmative prayer. And I mean, the, the, you know, I'd, I'd have a movie going on on my, on my inner eyelids, you know, the words she was saying and the, the energy that was moving in the room. I mean, this woman was a true, true, true mystic. And I'd get done and we'd open our eyes and then I'd go right back into the story and start complaining again. And she'd go, okay, we've got to treat again. We'd go right back into it. 
Yeah, because what I was doing was, go, was pulling that energy back in. It's just that we're done with that. We're done. That's why we release it. We let it go. You're not in this anymore. Surrender. Okay, if I have to, but geez, I'm sure having a lot of fun hanging on to it. Ernest said, it's a spiritual power, and that's part of the problem. Because we can't see it. Anybody here ever see our spiritual power? It's a spiritual power. We can't see it. It's invisible. But how we connect with it, as Holmes talked about, how we connect with it is we feel it. Do you see love? Anybody here ever experienced love? Three people over there and two over here. Okay, awesome. We could be in trouble. (laughs) We've all experienced love, every one of us. We don't see love. When Bill Maher was talking, and boy, he goes off to religion big time. And, I, and I, I chuckle because the religion he's going after, I don't agree with anyway. So, I mean, it's like, you know, he's, he's, he's back in the Old Testament kind of stuff. But, but what I do, where, where Bill and I uh, um, part ways a bit, is, is around faith. Um, he just, you know, he has no, he, he, his mind, and he's a brilliant mind, and I love the guy and I honor him. He just doesn't have any uh, room in his life for faith. But for me, I know that he feels love, and I know he feels joy. Those are experiences you cannot see. It's an invisible power, and they're all aspects of the infinite. But it's a, it's a principle. It's not a man. He was talking about the Mormons. The Mormons know that God is a six-foot-two man. And, and also, and I didn't realize this till Bill said it, but the Mormons believe that Jesus was an American. I didn't know that. I do, and I, if there's any people here of the Mormon tradition, it's a beautiful tradition. I love what they do with families. I love what they do with community. I mean, it's amazing. But I didn't know that. I thought, he's, I thought he looked like Howie Mandel. It was about five foot six last time I heard. Well, that was Jesus. That's right. Faith, Holmes said, and confidence in it. It's the key. As. As you believe. It operates as you believe. It operates as you believe. So why we come to community, why we do these things, it's easier to do great things with people who believe in you. It's easier to do great things with people that believe in you. And you want to gather people around you that can, that can share and, and support you in, in your dreams and your goals to do great things. Belief, as Holmes said, is something we do. And we don't doubt. Belief in something and is something we do. He quotes Shakespeare in his video. He says, words without thoughts do not go to heaven go. Words without thoughts do not to heaven go. In other words, when our words are empty, when the consciousness beneath the words and upon the words is not powerful and it's not part of our conviction, they don't connect. Shakespeare wrote about that. Holmes talks about gravity. Any of us doubt gravity? I have complete faith I am not going to float up right now. I have absolute complete faith that when I step to my left or my right, I'm going to hit the floor. I mean, he's talking about that kind of conviction. And how does it take, what does it take to get to that kind of conviction? It takes practice. It takes practice. You know, I watched a wonderful video about... uh, you find everything on YouTube. I mean, you can become a, I think you can become an expert in six months on anything you choose on the, on the internet. It's amazing. And they were talking about the lost years of Jesus. And they speculate that Jesus probably 
made his way to India in the Himalayas. And actually, there's a, there's a temple you know, high up in the uh, Himalayas where they've, they have, they've got text around the recordings of when Jesus traveled there and studied. And there was a book written by a Russian fellow that, that chronicles a bit of that. But so, many of what he, so much of what he taught was also reflected with uh, uh, the Buddha. And the Buddha was about 500 years before the, the life of Jesus. But the Buddha said this, which is so much what Ernest Holmes talks about. It's also what Jesus talked about. The Buddha said, the th- and this is what, if you saw the movie The Iron Lady, when, when Margaret Thatcher, she said something very similar to this. And, I, and she said her dad told her. Well, Buddha told her dad, whoever, and however that filtered down. Buddha said, the thought manifests as the word, and the word manifests as the deed, and the deed develops into habit, and habit hardens into character. So watch the thought in its ways with care, and let it spring from love, born out of concern for all beings. As the shadow follows the body, as we think, so we become. Doesn't that sound like uh, Ernest Holmes? Where do you think Ernest got that? Ernest read everything. He didn't invent anything. He was a synthesizer. He put the ideas together and he said, we need to look at this. We need to study these different traditions and see what the common denominator is. I mean, it's common sense. It's common sense. I mean, my mother would always tell me about the great saints and the miracles. They, in fact, they just, they just beatified uh, the John Paul, who just died a few years ago. They just beatified him. You know what beatified means? They got one miracle that they're checking out. And if they get two miracles, because they want to make sure that the first one wasn't, you know, somebody was just making stuff up. They got two miracles, then he can become a saint. And that's how they approach the miraculous. It's not bad or wrong. It's just their system. It's how they measure. But there are miracles happening everywhere, every day. And there are. As Emma said, miracle working is a sign of being absolutely united to spirit. And it is not exclusive to one denomination or one belief system. Consciousness is consciousness is consciousness. Jesus, when people would go to Jesus, I read scripture, and of course now when you read scripture, they weren't historians. What they did is they filtered out the spiritual practices of Jesus. In fact, it was just when I was watching this uh, historical Jesus and, and probably what influenced his ministry, they said that at the time that these fellows wrote, it was still a Roman world. So if Jesus were a radical, and he, and he was working to free his people from the Roman domination, they wouldn't have allowed them to put that in the books anyway. But if you notice, one of the guys said he had a zealot that traveled with him. It was a, if you read scripture, every once in a while the zealot shows up. Now, a zealot was someone that wanted absolute, was adamant that they were going to drive the Romans out, following Jesus around. So who knows what didn't get put in there? But what it said, Jesus, Jesus never asked from what I saw, and maybe they didn't let him put it in the books, before I do this with you, what religion are you? What church do you belong to? Because I only work with people from the Center for Spiritual Living and a few of the uh, Protestants that I like. He didn't do any of that. <laughs> Dr. Holmes said, we live with ourselves all the time. He said, we do not need to say, we do not need to say, am I good enough to use this power? Am I good enough to use this power? 
got an email from somebody this morning offering prayer requests, but really what they were, what they were saying in the prayer requests, and I honor this, this is not a criticism, this is from love, was really to say, I, I don't think I'm good enough to use this power. Holmes said, I can use it. We can use the power. I will use it until I believe. See, there's the key, is to continue the practice until we believe. What I see happening is, for many and myself included, is we come with a certain, uh, we're in a certain box of consciousness, and we'd like to change that. And so we do the work, and we take the classes, and we work with the practitioner, and we go through all the studies, and then we think we're ready, and we go out, and we have the same experience over again. Damn it. It doesn't work. It does work. It's just going to take a little bit longer than what you think is always my problem. I remember when I came to this teaching first time, I thought, this is a great idea, but I'm never going to be able to do that. Pay attention to everything I'm thinking and doing and saying. Oh, I'm too busy thinking and doing and saying to pay attention to what I'm thinking and doing and saying. Holmes said, use it until you believe. You and I can control our thinking. That is a huge challenge. When you read them, reading this Awakening the Buddha within, throughout the whole thing, it's the same challenge, controlling the thinking. Through meditation, Dr. Holmes said, through meditation, whatever that is for you, as he said in the video, whatever meditation is for you. Even in the book, Awakening the Buddha Within by Lama Suridas, he said, even the Dalai Lama says, there are times, there are days where I can't meditate enough. I don't have the time. So what do you do? Well, then you find, it, you find within my suggestion and my experience has been because I went through this. I was, when I, my first ministry... I, um, I had a, a full-time construction business cabinet shop, and I, was, and I stepped in to be the senior minister at uh, uh, the first church. And so I wrestled with this, and then I realized that my, what I would do is I would make all my work a prayer all day long. And so I had a, I, I, I would be in, in, I'd be paying attention to what I was doing because there were you know, power tools running. But it, it, my work became my prayer, and it was such a great lesson for me. The idea, I had this fantasy that in order for me to be spiritual, I had to, you know, lock myself away in a room for eight hours a day or 12 hours a day and, you know, and contemplate my navel. But what it takes is for all of us to just slow down wherever we are. To just slow down wherever we are and be present with ourselves and ask, is this truly, does this really stand for what I want to stand for in the world? And when we really get spinning in it, you have to ask for prayer support from a practitioner. Miracle working is a sign of being absolutely united with spirit. Anybody interested in that besides me? Yeah. I mean, that's what awaits us. And the friction, all of the friction and the discord and the things are here to shape us and grow us. And so we can look at it and say, do I want to keep doing this? Do I want to keep running this movie through my my consciousness? Or do I want to lovingly put this down? And to have the diligence and the commitment and the awareness to, to put it down. And to have that... We can trust something greater than we are. Trust something greater than we are. Margaret Sanger was compelled through this agitation to change the world, to bring rights to people, to, to, to women, so women can have, have an opportunity to enjoy their, the fullness of life like everyone else. It is the evolution of consciousness. And we see it happening. It just happens so slowly. And I don't know how you speed it up. 
So there's a formula I want to share with you around this that is really simple. It's three steps. In changing our thinking, we change our lives, as Dr. Holmes said. Changing our thinking, we change our lives. Number one is to, it's all about love. It's all about love. This divine presence that we sense and feel is love. It's the quality and the experience of love. And in order to experience that, we have to give up condemnation, criticism, and judgment. What we can do with that, because God doesn't condemn. It's not in God's nature to condemn. It never has been and never will be. So to use the energy that comes with... Because we're not going to get rid of condemnation, criticism, and judgment. It just happens. We're tripwired for it. Somebody does something, we'll judge it. But what we can do is we can find a way to shift our perception in the experience to transform it to love. I do that all the time when people are racing by me, going real fast. I always say, well, they must, they're taking some, they got to go see somebody at the hospital. I know I'm making it up. But for me, it's a story that it just takes me out of that, <clears throat> i got to avenge this. You know, the story of, do you ever see the movie The World According to Garp and Robin Williams? A guy keeps speeding through the neighborhood and he runs out with a baseball bat. You know, that's the other option. And I can never get to the baseball bat fast enough. So I might as well just make up the story about the guy and let him go. That's what I say to Laura all the time. I don't like the way they're driving. I don't want to have to go to court with them. It's all about love. And using that energy, when we spin it, I just watched uh, Ganja G talking about that around addiction. Addiction, when we can sit in the addiction and spin in the addiction, it's transformative. So Tole talks about bringing awareness to it. It's all about the love is number one. But it's that awareness and mindfulness to bring ourselves to the love. Number two, to stop condemning. Just stop it. Just stop it. It's none of our business. Stop condemning. You know, Bill Maher told a story of a guy that there's a, there's a, the, there's a conservative senator and a congressman in the United States legislature right now, and, and they talk about global warming. And he said, well, you know, in, in uh, the story of Noah and the ark, and after God had flooded the plains and the world was destroyed, God felt so bad, he said it would never happen again. So we don't have to worry about global warming. And when I heard that, I thought... Hmm. Okay. And then I realized, I'm going to start condemning, so stop it. But those are the things that come up. Those are the things. That's someone's level of understanding. That's that person's belief. I'm not going to change that. What can I do with that? What I can do is I can shift my perception on understanding. That's where that person is, and that's what's happening. There's a wonderful story about the two brothers, one brother, the, the two brothers, they're farmers, and the one brother's single, and the one brother has a family, and they're both grain farmers. And so they, they, they're, they're not in high relationship verbally, but there's great love there, and the one brother sees his brother that's got the kids and the family, and so every night to help him out, he silently sneaks over with a bag of grain, and he dumps it into his grain uh, silo. And he'd sneak back, and then the other brother with the two kids and the wife, thinking, there's my poor brother, he's all alone, no kids to take care of him, and uh, what's he going to do, how's he going to survive, he has no one, and so he would fill a a bag of grain up, and he would take it over in the night, and he'd put it into his silo, and they did this for, this went on for a long, long time, and finally one night, they both bumped into one another in the middle of the night, the, the bags of grain over their shoulders. The compassion and the love. And the third one, which is, you have to do the first to get to the third one. Number one, it's about the love. Number two, to give up the condemnation, not just of others, but ourselves. Spiritual practice is not condemning ourselves, blaming and shaming ourselves over and over again. And the third one, which requires the first two, is forgiveness. 
Once we stop the condemnation, once we can love at a new level, we allow God to give forth love through us. This is what, and that's exactly what Emma Curtis Hopkins said. Miracle working is a sign of being absolutely united to spirit. That's what the love does for us. That's what the lack of condemnation does for us. That's what the forgiveness does. Then we can forgive. The steps to forgiveness, number one, you have to want to. You have to really want to. Because sometimes, yeah, I'm going to do my forgiveness work, but I'm still not going to forgive them. We have to really want to. Number two, we have to intend to. I want to, because I want to live fully. You want to live fully? I want to live fully. I want to live fully. Boy, this time, this, I love this beautiful planet. I love being alive. I love a day like today. Not that I don't love the snow, but I love the day like today a little bit more than I love the snow. And then to affirm. So number one, in, in forgiveness, I want to. Number two, I intend to. I want to live fully. And number three, to affirm, spirits love through me. So what happens is these steps open us to the divine. And when we're open to the divine, we're open to divine direction. And it comes through intuition. It comes through inspiration. You know, we stand upon that. We, we, we are a tradition. We are a tradition. In this book, This I Believe, there's about 80 stories in here of remarkable men and women. I'm in a room of remarkable men and women. We're part of that tradition. We're part of that shifting and changing of consciousness. And whenever consciousness shifts, it's never too small. It's never too small. Wherever a, a, a love can awaken in our lives, where there's been discord and disharmony, it's never too late. So you are the one. You are the one. And now is the time. And so it is.